Get about the curveball, Ricky. Give him a heater. Welcome to the Heater Podcast. Uh, this is Dan Lewig. He's Corey Peeper. As we uh, continue our off-season edition, as we break down the comings and goings, latest happenings in Major League Baseball, as this week we'll be taking a look at uh, continuing our 5x5 five five format. We'll have five pieces of news to update you on, uh, five bits of off-season injury updates, uh, five rumors, five teams making moves in the last week, and then the, we'll finish with the five uh, largest holes on contenders that need filling. As always, the Heater Podcast is brought to you by River Creek Popcorn. For all of your snacking needs for baseball games and movies of choice, come hungry, leave happy. Uh, are you getting any still last-minute orders before Christmas, or are you finally done before the, the calendar turns 2021? I think we're done till 2021. I filled three totes this week. Four totes? Three totes? Four totes? Something like that. So... Orders are still coming, but uh, now from here on out, it's on my Christmas break, the way I see it. The holiday hiatus. The holiday hiatus, that's right. That's right. Uh, speaking of, we will be looking at doing the same here for the, the next week, so we'll be taking at least a, a one-week pause uh, to enjoy the uh, Christmas uh, with families and loved ones and mm-hmm. uh, allow you folks to, uh, to do the same, and then we'll come back with a... Uh, 2021 uh, year. Yeah, and we'll see what, uh, again, as we look at baseball with, with the way this has gone, again, things have been very slow by and large, and that's been, uh, as a result of the pandemic, teams still just don't have enough information uh, to know what 2021 looks like from a financial perspective, so it's harder to project. Uh, if everyone knew that there was a 162-game season coming, I think things would have progressed a little bit more. A one-year dip financially uh, would have had some ripple effects, but it wouldn't have been a league-wide massive uh, thing the way it's looked at now if there would have been a better financial picture to plan for. But because, and we'll talk about it here, the possibility of it not being 162 games, uh, teams can find a way to do a pinch in the short term. Uh, None of these teams, again, people always look at, well, you know, these teams are worth billions. That may be true, but you don't get that money now. You get it when you sell the team. Until then, that money isn't there. And uh, no matter how many, uh, uh, how much is in these pockets and pocketbooks that are there, losing billions of dollars across the, the league here uh, is going to matter. Now, they, there was an article this uh, that came out today that mentioned that uh, $2.5 billion in salaries were lost this year as a result of the condensed format. Uh, Understandable. Wish, and that was from, from players uh, that way. I wish they also would have put in there, again, owners felt that pinch too uh, as far as uh, revenue that didn't come in. And I guarantee you that's not in the same uh, the same lining. $2.5 billion for players, I'm betting it was far north of that as far oh. as revenue per, when you count per team well, you uh, got, with that. I mean, 50 to $100 million easy per team. Oh, you got ticket sales. You got all the concessions. You got all the meat merchandise. Like, you got all the parking TV costs, for not, TV uh, revenue. Yeah. <laughs> it, it, so There's a lot more ways to make money for the owners, but that means there's a lot more ways to lose money for the owners. So, yeah, abs- financial crisis throughout baseball. Like, we've said that they should be able to pay and we're almost getting into the first part of news here, but uh, they absolutely 
lost money as owners. They lost money as players. And so now we have to figure out what's going to be 2021. So the unclear financial projection is going to play into the, the news that we talk about, as well as some of the teams, as far as rumors goes, that we're going to be talking about that uh, maybe a team or two that wasn't necessarily looking at the rebuilding yet that was on the, the edge, but maybe would have been more willing to compete and push things in now might be moving in a different direction that's going to cause a ripple effect around the league as well. Uh, so lots of things that we're going to talk about here as far as that goes. Uh, and so let's dive into the the news here, and we'll cover that as the very first thing. A report was coming out this week that the regular season might be pushed back as more news comes out of the, the vaccine and how that is being distributed and implemented. Uh, there is some thought that is out there that if, if we push the season back by a month to six weeks, uh, that would allow on the timeline that's there and give enough time for all of that to take take place where this way players aren't getting any special treatment, but by the time that vaccines are there, access to that for them, then you can move forward with the, with the season. And so right now, what they're, one of the ideas that's out there is that the season could be pushed back, like I said, four to six weeks start in May uh, to at latest June. That's the, the goal being you'd vaccinate everybody that's at least playing. And uh, the report was maybe 140 games and go from there. There was other ones that you could get in the full 162. We've seen the seven-inning doubleheaders last year. Maybe you squeeze more seven-inning doubleheaders. Maybe you push the playoffs back to November. You know, the players are going to want to play 162. Their report came out a couple days later. We're ready to play 162. We expect to be there for spring training. And, of course, they're going to say that because they want their full salaries. They just – that's Blake Snell. He just took a pay cut. He wants that money. We all know he likes that money. So everybody wants to get paid here. Now, the owners, if they're not making as much money, they'd be perfectly fine saying, sure, we'll play 140, right? Nobody's going to be in the stands probably, at least in the beginning at this point. We said last week, I thought maybe you get a quarter. It's looking at the way that sounds. I don't think they want any fans, at least initially. So they'd be fine saying, no, we'll play 140. Let's make the playoffs. In the end, it'll probably be something that has to be negotiated again. And it's starting to sound a little bit like last summer again. It's, it's not going to be negotiated well. It'll definitely be negotiated, but it's not going to be negotiated well. I, we're thankful that we're talking about maybe 140 versus 162 versus talking like 60, 60 games. So this still is going to be there. And I think the reason why the – and, yeah, is this more of an owner push uh, as far as this, factoring in that uh, not only for players for vaccines but knowing that uh, limited fans, if any, for the first four to six weeks – uh, so this is more of a shared cost. Uh, yeah, I'm sure this is coming more from, from ownership, but uh, like, like I said, when you're talking uh, wanting to get full revenue back uh, in order for these things to be possible, but even at, in the most optimistic scenario, you're not at full scale, all tickets back uh, in, in stands. You're not at uh, everything being there at least until midsummer, I'd say before the all-star break is kind of when you might be at now the full capacity by that point. If everything goes well, uh, if the vaccine is fully there and then you could p potentially have that. But I think that's probably the most optimistic uh, scenario to have, all, uh, to have full capacity in stadiums. I saw, and I don't remember where I saw it, but I saw, I think it was Ticketmaster has started to sell tickets again online but you have to prove somehow that you've taken the vaccine in order to buy tickets. So I, you know, that's now you're starting to get into some different talk for a more political podcast there. But uh, I, I, I agree with you. I don't think you're going to see full capacity until 
sometime in July, if even then. And uh, it's going to be something that we're going to watch play out here over the next few weeks. And like you said, we're talking 140 probably at the least. At, at the least, I think we're talking 140. And 140 is a big enough – 60 was a big enough sample where I feel very confident saying the Dodgers were the best team. I'm always going to say it is a – they absolutely won that championship. It is not an asterisk, anything like that. Correct. But I'd rather see 140 than 60 any day. And at least we're, again, making positive steps in that direction. Uh, and, again, when you think of just the side note of how long it normally takes to get a vaccine for something, uh, this is uh, – to put it uh, in, in uh, Spaceballs fashion, ludicrous speed. Uh, and now, of course, now now it's the waiting game to see, is it as effective as what is being stated? Is this rushed? Are we good? Uh, and just all, the only thing you have here to find out is time. And, and so until we get more time, we just don't have the answers yet. We have a starting to get a better picture, but time will answer it. The problem where this hits is for anyone who's a free agent, because teams know that they're not looking at full capacity for revenue in 2021. And so what you're already taking a hit the previous year, back-to-back years is going to change budgets. And so that's the, the ongoing thing we'll wait and see. Uh, but regular season, we're at least planning between 140 and 162 games, and that's a whole lot better than talking 60. So at least that's on the optimistic side of, of uh, silver lining that we're looking at as we look at 2021. A few other changes coming in 2021. Well, at least one is in the works, uh, but it won't change for the 2021, and that's Cleveland uh, will have a new name, but they will be staying with the Indians for the Indians' name for 2021 as they make their plans for their new tra- uh, new nickname. So, at the very end of last podcast, it was we basically broke the news then that we saw it that the Cleveland Indians, much like the Washington football team, have decided to switch their mascot. And there's been some reports of they used to be the Spiders, which I detest Spiders, so please not. And uh, the Steamers you see in Cleveland Rocks or whatever. And they've said it won't be the Tribe. It's not going to be the Indian, but it will be the Indians next year. And then after that, it sounds like they want to have a mascot. It doesn't look like they're going to go to the Cleveland baseball team, which is good. Please find something I at the Washington football team I guess they've gotten used to saying it but I prefer a mascot well also why why rush sure uh, take your like time the, for all of this as long as you're saying hey this is happening in one year's time uh and so that gives you a year to develop I think the Washington uh football team just went to knee jerk in response to things versus doing a good PR rollout and giving yourself time and then allowing the fans to invest in it without a goofy uh, Washington football team name. But hey, it's Daniel Snyder and that's the way things operate over there. So nothing is surprising in that capacity. That's for sure. Uh, the biggest news that came out this week, and I think yeah. completely, whether you're looking at uh, anything free agency, current, or anything within baseball, in fact, probably one of the bigger news stories of sports in general this week uh, was the announcement of the uh, Negro Leagues now officially being essentially stated as major leagues. They're officially recognized. That? They're the 1920s to 1950 ish, 1948, I guess, is officially when the year is. The Negro Leagues, there's seven of them. And we, if you go back and listen to our GOAT podcast, we talk about some of those guys. Bob Gibson, very famous Negro League ball players, cool Papa Bell, some of those type of players that. Yeah, they were already in the Baseball Hall of Fame, but it was not considered true major leagues. Well, they're officially being recognized. I think there's seven different Negro leagues that are now being recognized for the major leagues. 
first thing is now you got to go back. It's the Elias Sports Bureau that the Major League yeah. Baseball hires to follow all their stats. Now they got to go back through, and you're going to see some of these t- players get recognized for having new records. So I believe they said Willie Mays is likely to get added a home run, 661 instead of his famous 660. And Josh Gibson may be credited with the highest batting average season ever. So some of that tough stuff, you're going to see their new record book. The the ripple effect from now the addition of the statistics. Um, it's hard talking about this without people getting uh, political or other things involved here. And just look at just baseball. That's all we want to talk about here is, is baseball and looking at those those stats as well as the how we wrestle with this. Whenever you talk about a different league, the question becomes, is that league, is the talent level the fully the same? Where, again, we have different uh, things with minors from single-A, double-A, triple-A to the level of competition that is there. We look at other leagues around the globe and say, how does that rate as far as talent level? Does this equate to triple-A? Is this majors? How are we looking at this? And so from that standpoint, I think that the fair question to ask is, uh, when we have the record books that were there, you know the competition for sure. How would you state, uh, when we look at the the Negro Leagues, was the competition the, the same? Uh, we know there's a lot of fantastic players that were Hall of Famers and some of the best to ever play the game that were there in those leagues, no question. But the overall talent level of the league, does that match up? Is it a... Can you just put everyone's statistics as it is and just put it into the record books? And is that not fair, but just a way of, as we, we measure things by stats, it does mm-hmm. this fit that way? Well, I mean, I, let's take a more recent approach here. Somebody that we would both know, because these are all, these are before us. Right. And so we've heard that Bob Gibson or not, sorry, Bob, Bob Gibson, Josh Gibson has the most home runs all time. We've heard that now it's, they've already said it's not going to come out. He's not going to be the most because some of the barnstorming games they've said will not count. So it's going to probably be somewhere in the three hundreds. But if we go to Ichiro Suzuki, right, he would have the most hits all time, more than Pete yep. Rose. If you count that, that professional career in Japan. Now, even coming to the big leagues, he had 3000 hits guaranteed first ballot hall of famer in what, two years, three years, whatever he retired a couple years ago. Right. So it's, it's not the same level of competition. It's not to say the Negro Leagues absolutely deserve to be recognized. They're incredible baseball played there, I'm sure. And Ichiro Suzuki, Japanese Leagues, we watched the KBO during uh, quarantine, right? So we got yep, to see yep. it. And it's a different game. They don't hit as many home runs. They played a contact over there. So when he's making those type of hit records, it's just a different game. And it's not the same type of competition, but... In this case, I, I'm very proud to say that I'm happy the Negro Leagues are going to be officially recognized. Do you know if with Elias getting involved uh, here with this, are they are they evaluating like by season or by park or stuff within it to say, okay, this is what's going to count with the, the major league stats? Or how are they breaking that up? Are they just transferring everything in as is? Has anything been said of, of how they're investigating that? It says that as part of the decision, MLB and the Elias Sports Bureau have begun a review process to dis- determine go. the full scope of the designation's effect on records and statistics. Historians and other experts will be consulted as part of that process. So, In a rare opportunity, Major League Baseball is doing something this is a intelligent this is a good one. Good for job, how Rob. they are approaching this and allowing those that would be the, the best, uh, have the best expertise, the best experts who've uh, studied the leagues, who know the context of uh, Major League Baseball at that level as well as the Negro League at that time and putting this together. And so they're not just doing, uh, just throw it all in and say, well, now it's fine. They're actually trying to go about this in an intelligent and fair way 
that gives the appropriate respect uh, and statistics to those players in the Negro Leagues to equate with Major League and put that into the history books and uh, a major milestone uh, with this process beginning uh, and, and thankful that we are now having that discussion, that this process has started and excited to see where it leads as we have, uh, you know, when you watch the Ken Burns documentaries and, and you see uh, the history of uh, uh, the history of, the, of baseball and covering the Negro Leagues and some of the stories and things that are there and the historians that are covering this, I, I actually feel confident in their process for what they're doing. Elias Sports Bureau is awesome. Elias yeah. Sports Bureau, yep. that's that's a great company that the Major League is, you know, that's something they've gotten right. This is something that Rob Manfred's got right. We've criticized him plenty on the show, I believe, to be fairly. I think he's done plenty of bad things, but this one this is something we get right, and we finally get to recognize the accomplishments of players that have not been recognized enough. And uh, as we talk about people who've done things right, we uh, shift into uh, at least one person who's done something wrong, as we've covered very well <laughs> over these podcasts. But now the uh, uh, the information is out there as far as uh, Tony Larusa, everything as far as that case is now closed. Why don't you uh, tell us how that's all shaped out this week? On Wednesday, he went to court, which is he had to do facing the two charges of driving under the influence. Uh, he pled guilty to reckless driving, which was the lesser charge in Arizona. It sounds like he's going to pay a fine, have to do 20 hours of community service and serve one day in jail, which is apparently the standard for Arizona. It could be less into a work release type of thing if it gets approved by a judge. Um, And so the White Sox, I believe, have not officially released a statement yet, but at some point you would expect that to happen. They've known about this. Tony LaRusso is still going to be – I've seen people say, oh, he's not going to be hired or whatever. He's At this point, he's going to be the manager, I think, of the White Sox come April or February when baseball starts here. And so it's just a matter of he's got caught, served his time. That's the American judicial system. I'm – well, first, I hope that the uh, the reason for the one day in jail or not is has nothing to do with the, he's a Hall of Famer man. So hopefully okay. there's a different standard that they use for that. Uh, but what I'm curious about is, again – and I'm sure players will be watching this very closely. So I hope Rob Manfred is looking at this because there is a code of conduct for players. When they uh, do something off the field, then suspensions happen. Mm. Uh, So my question is, because now that this is a guilty Mm -hmm. verdict, what suspension uh, uh, is Tony Larusa going to be facing? Should be facing that type of thing to be in line with the players? If there's a different set of rules for non-players already, when we already have bad blood, uh, as far as the new collective bargaining agreement is going to be coming in another year, and all those negotiations and all the stuff that's happened with uh, uh, dealing with COVID here, if Tony Larusa is not suspended as part of some sort of code of conduct uh, violation policy here. I think that's going to cause additional damage to later ne- to later negotiations in other ways. So since he has uh, now uh, uh, pled guilty to this, there should be a suspension coming. I honestly hadn't even considered that until you mentioned it, but yeah, you were very true on that. If it was a player getting, we've seen them have to serve, they have to serve their sentence. It's not just Absolutely. a, uh, they have to serve their sentences he's going to have to serve that one but then major league baseball gives an additional sentence right so yeah major league baseball he should get suspended you're you're absolutely right and i hadn't considered that i'll be waiting to see if anything uh, if any of the reporters dig into that or talk about that whether it's jeff Passan or, or anyone else if that's going to be covered as what uh, baseball may uh 
do as they get involved with their code of conduct policy. We'll keep an eye on that as the offseason moves on. And then we have one more piece of uh, of news to break down. That is, this one is just the fact that Major League Baseball ESPN released their Sunday night baseball viewing schedule. Uh, a lot of games in April. So they're planning on playing in April because ESPN's got programming there. And we saw ESPN have to make up programming uh, earlier this year. So it's the teams that you'd expect. Uh, the White Sox and the Angels, the Phillies and the Braves, the Braves and the Cubs, the Padres and the Dodgers, Mets, Phillies, Phillies, Braves, Cardinals, Padres, Cubs, Cardinals, Braves, Mets, Mets, Yankees, Red Sox, Yankees, Red Sox, Yankees, and Yankees, Mets. So, hey, uh, did you notice who's uh, uh, from the contending teams? Uh, which team happens to be marketably absent uh, <laughs> despite winning the AL pennant and making it to the World Series? Did you catch that? That's not the I, they are certainly missing there, and I was surprised the White Sox didn't get on there at least once. Yep, that's a contending team from a big market too. And uh, uh, it's uh, San Diego, no San Diego. Yeah, there's uh, this is part of the problem with Major League Baseball. They, they talk about, and it's not just from the sport; it's from those that cover it. Yep. What there, there's the problem with again not having enough interest in the sport overall. They want to increase recognition. They want to increase awareness. They have, I mean. Fernando Tatis is one of the most exciting players to watch. Uh, you have uh, a different way of, of winning from a, showing that a small market team can contend. Show the race uh, way. So there's there's all these different things that are there. Uh, Mike Trout, he's on the their best team, one time. best player one uh, in the sport, and has been for years. Mm-hmm. And no one knows about him because he's on the West Coast. Because unless you play for New York or Boston, you're not getting exposure in the national media. So. Of course, there's a lack of uh, overall knowledge, awareness, and interest in the sport because you're not actually magnifying and promoting these players. The Blue Jays, yeah. one of the funnest young teams in the game, not on there one time. So, yeah, it's, it's, it's a problem. It's the yeah. big markets. It's the same thing that ESPN does every year. And, and I, I get it, right? You want to hammer Chicago and Los Angeles, but you, they already have fans, right? Like You want to spread the game. Like Dan said, you want to spread this game. We've heard you say it, it's a dying game. And... It's being passed by the NBA, right? It's being passed by the NBA. Then why not? Like, okay, those can be the one team that's in it, but then why don't you line it up with the other team Market that can be player. there? So if you're going to put the Dodgers on there, Padres, that's one of the best division back-to-backs right now as far as going uh, trying to go at it right there. It doesn't have to always have to be New York and Boston. Boston's rebuilding. They're not good. They're, They're not good and newsflash, right no, they're not going to be good this year either. So do Yankees and, and Rays. My goodness, from 2020, what was the biggest thing that happened in the game as far as rivalry and, and added that's right. <laughs> stress to things? That's right. It writes itself. Actually, that's a good one. The Astros aren't on here. Speaking of teams that people want to watch the Astros, right? The team that everyone loves to hate besides the, 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 the evil empire. That's you have right. the Houston Astros, and they love having that chip on their shoulder, and they'll just be unapologetic and move forward and bash baseball. It's like... There's so much that, that could be done that still fits in. Have your big market bias. Yes, ratings uh, create revenue. They're in it to make money. I get it. ESPN needs to do that. But the matchups that you pick, you're just losing so much to the sport. And also, if you want better revenue overall, you need to market some of these other teams and get that going. Uh, so this way, when you have different teams on there, you'll get those fans or you get the general interest up for that in addition to just having Yankees fans or Red Sox fans or Dodgers fans watch the games. 
my uh, soapbox you, is done. You did great. I'm good. I loved uh, it. Despite the laryngitis, you I did, was able to you, get up on that soapbox. You do sound so. better this week. I said before the fact you sound I'm better this there. week. You, everybody, he there. sounds better this week. So we're going to keep him easy on him here. So I'll take the next part. We're going to move on to players that got acquired this week, different player acquisitions. And we're going to start with the Red Sox and who are very much rebuilding. He's not wrong. And so they started with a Ray player, actually, from Tampa Bay. Hunter Renfro traded this past offseason, now signs a one-year contract with the Red Sox. And I have to say, I like it. I think he's a perfect fit for Boston. I'm afraid that I'm going to be uh, hitting my head on the table many times for the bombs coming against the Rays, having to face him on the other side. Uh, mm-hmm. Here's a guy that got hit up in the middle of, of COVID uh, weirdness as well. He's got light tower power. That's oh, yeah. that's never been in question. He also strikes out a lot, mm-hmm. and he also plays great defense. Well, you're putting him into uh, one of the smallest ballparks in baseball, uh, and him against the green monster. Yep. Uh, he's going to be making holes in that thing and going well over it. It's a it's a great fit, uh, and their coaches have already come out and said as part of the signing that they saw something in his swing that they think they can help with. So mm. they have identified him uh, and believe there's a way, and that's been the problem from San Diego to Tampa Bay that can you unlock more of that consistently? Mm-hmm. Uh, and he's shown flashes, but can you get the consistency out of it? And if you do, you got a 40-homer uh, uh, oh, back easy. here. Oh, yeah. uh, and also, if you can raise up the, the batting average where it isn't just swing and miss, and in this ballpark, it's going to make it more interesting. So I think it's an excellent fit uh, for, the, uh, for more of an underrated free agent signing that's going to go very well in Boston. The thing that I think you had, that you'd look at when you say, you mentioned the Green Monster, he has had his lowest pull year is 47% according to Fangrass. So if you're pulling, he's right-handed, right? And we know he's got plenty of power. He is going to take advantage of that left field in Boston and make a lot of doubles and hit a lot of home runs. And like you said, he's going to strike out a lot, but I wouldn't be surprised. Like the Red Sox have a good, have a good enough offense. I think we've, but we both think their pitching is terrible, but I wouldn't be surprised if he doesn't lead the team in home runs. I, I would agree with that, especially when, He'll, he'll go back and forth. You'll have a guy that's going to pull a little more, but if he's smart, when they start pitching him away, Pesky's pull, mm-hmm. uh, he Short can park. easily get to that right field uh, uh, right there. Just just from a flick of the wrist, I mean, it doesn't even take to be a big hit. Uh, so here's someone who has the power to go opposite field anywhere, but especially in that ballpark. So he can counter well enough to keep pitchers off balance. Uh, yeah, I, I see that being a very good signing that we look back on next year and, and say, called it. Yeah, we will. Uh, another team, we mentioned the Royals last week. They just keep signing these cheap veterans to very, very good team-friendly deals. They actually brought back Greg Holland. So Greg Holland was there last year. Uh, six saves, six games for him last year with a 191 ERA. So that's excellent. And then they decided, well, he's 35 years old. One year, $2.75 million. Let's get him back for another year. I don't know. He might be the closer. He might not. They've already had Josh Stalmont and Scott Barlow, who I thought were pretty good players last year for them, but it makes a lot of sense. He limits the home runs. He walk. He doesn't walk too many guys, the type of guy you want in your bullpen. Yeah, he had a uh, a very good year in, the, in quarantine, and uh, he's comfortable there. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so that makes sense as a, as a signing. Um, you know, obviously the 1.91 is uh, underneath uh, stats say it wasn't that good, but still his ex-FIP was uh, 3.49, uh, so it's still very good. Uh, and so whether they choose to make him closer or a setup man to Stamont, it, and especially at that price point for under 3 mil, it's a, and then 
a team that has been making smart, solid signings. I just keep liking everything the Royals yeah, do. I just absolutely. keep liking everything the Royals do. Makes He's not the greatest. what they do next, right? Yeah, right. They, they just keep finding these affordable players on cheap deals and keep building outside. I don't know if they're going to be competitive, but at this point, the a way that the... 500 club? I, I, I think so. I think they're oh, less I think, within reach. I think they're easily 500. Yet. Especially if the Indians trade away what I think they're going to yeah, trade away, and that's a, yeah. those are some easier wins, so we'll see. Uh, another team that's fixing their bullpen, another team that's fixing their bullpen, the Young Mariners make a trade first, trade for Rafael Montero from Texas for prospect Jose Corniel. I don't know much about Jose Corniel, so I'm not going to sound like I do. Um, I do know something about Rafael Montero. I know that he should likely slide in to be the closer in Seattle. That one I can be very confident of because they really struggled back there last year, and Rafael Montero saved eight games with the Rangers in his 17 innings. He had a 408 ERA, but unlike... Uh, Craig Holland, whose FIP was a little – actually, his FIP is lower, but his XFIP is higher. So what he has to worry about is sometimes when he gets problems, it's the walks. So last year he's walking almost three per nine. That's a little too high for a closer. Uh, a couple of years ago it was down to one. That's what you want to see there. So if he can limit the walks, that should be a pretty good signing too. And I, I said I think he will be the closer. That one I'm very confident of because Seattle's really struggled last year to find one. Well, see, as we look at uh, FIP and XFIP, you know, the difference you're talking about ballpark adjustments mm-hmm. and also the, trying to factor out, okay, if your defense wasn't good, uh, if the uh, if the ballpark has its influence, whatever was going on there, just what you can control mm-hmm. and trying to evaluate a pitcher that way. So when you look at fielder independent pitching, your FIP, and then your XFIP goes just a little bit more in-depth into that. And uh, the FIP loved him. Uh, the uh, XFIP, not as not as much if I'm seeing that right. No, the other way. Yeah, that's right. Uh, and the right. what helps is Safeco. Uh, that field, uh, that is perfect for a pitcher like this, and that will make those numbers more in balance or allow you to pitch above those numbers. Uh, the ballpark will help. Uh, and as they get that outfield in order, that also will uh, help them there. So he's striking out over a batter per inning. Uh, yep, if you can limit the walks or at least not make it any more than that. Whether or not he's closer or a late-inning guy, somewhere in there, uh, this is a great a great pickup for a team that is starting to very much trend in the right direction. Two years. I think they're, yep. I think they're a year more like two away, and then they're going to be real competitive up in Seattle. In another year, watch them to be free agent uh, players. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. They're willing they to have spend money up there. there. Oh, yeah. They're willing well, to so spend. So once the talent comes they're, up. They're going to have some real good talent. The, the thing that I'll mention with Rafael Montero is he had a 49% left on base percentage last year. That's exceptionally low. Like Most relievers are stranded in 70%, roughly. 49% means when he got on base, half of them came in and scored. So that's where the XFIP gets a little higher. That That's going to go back down. Great catch in that. Thank you. The Angels or the Mariners also had another signing within the division from a relief pitcher in Keenan Middleton, one year, eight hundred thousand. Uh, that is a good relief pitcher deal. I said a good relief pitcher deal. I like those type of deals. Affordable young pitcher, a couple years removed from having multiple two year A seasons, one one seven just two years ago. Last year was up at five two five. Now once again, all of these are extremely small sample sizes because he's very injury prone. He's one? extremely injury prone. But uh, I think like I said cheap deal. You sign someone within the division. They needed a lot of bullpen help up there, and maybe it works out for one year at eight hundred thousand. And you can flip them for something like maybe this is a. They said this is a team that's rebuilding. I'm not saying Keenan. They're not going to likely be competitive this year, but you take advantage of Keenan Middleton rebuilds that arm, gets that two three two and a half ERA. There's someone at the trade deadline going to want Keenan Middleton. And you continue to acquire assets as far as as part of your long term future. Speaking of acquiring assets, let's go to your team. So we already said they lost Hunter Renfro. But as usual with the Rays, they are willing to 
rebuild. So let's start with Mike Zanino. They brought him back one year with an option for a second, right? An option Correct. for a second, I believe. A team option worth $4 million. He was the not particularly good last year, hitting 147 with four home runs, 10 RBIs. But he got hot on the postseason, mm-hmm. which helped them. Uh, and so you have recency bias that says, well, maybe not so bad with the bat. But uh, this is clearly for the pitching staff. Uh, he's had two years with this team. The Rays spoke about uh, how important it is to have a guy back for a third year that knows their pitchers and because they have guys that throw all sorts of different angles, all sorts of different pitches, uh, and all the, the programs that they have there and the focus on pitch tunneling. It's hard to bring someone else in brand new and for them to be fully up to speed defensively, which is what they value the most out of the catcher position. And when you can't afford the JT Realmudos of the world, you at least want to have elite defense, and that's what they brought him back for. Now, at that price point, they haven't ruled out if they somehow make a trade and they get a, a front-line catcher as part of the deal or anything that way, uh, then Zunino may not be getting the, uh, the starter minutes. But if he does, it's worked into the contract that impacts his team option for the following year uh, to reflect that. So a great uh, simple signing. You need at least a catcher. They don't have anyone else <laughs> on the <laughs> roster or barely even AAA at this point. So uh, this was a, a solid move. You would like to see an, an upgrade if you can, but that's not that's easier said than done at the catcher position. I remember when Z- I remember Zunino with the Mariners hitting those twenty home run years, but yeah. it's always it's always been the strikeout rate which keeps his average yep. so low. Last year we're talking forty four percent. That's uh that's Joey Gallo looks up at that number just a little bit even. So <laughs> uh, the the other signing though is a little more interesting I think, and that's Michael Waka one year three million dollars coming off of his one year stint I believe with the Mets and. Correct. This is a this is a pitcher that posted the best numbers of his career last year. Like rate percentage wise, strikeout rate was highest it's ever been. Walk rate was as lowest it's ever been with the Mets. Now that's only thirty four innings, right? Small sample. We can say that about all these guys. It's a really small sample. But Michael Walker's not dumb. I don't think we know what the Rays do with pitchers, right? One year, three million. Maybe you go down there. The Rays figure something out because they seem to do that a lot, and your value goes much much higher next year. Here's a guy who a few years ago was an all-star pitcher, a key member of the St. Louis Cardinals rotation, uh, and then injuries started to uh, derail that uh, that career. Uh, and uh, last year, if you just look at his basic stats, you're like, well, a guy with a five-and-a-half ERA, like, what's the, like, Yuck. that's really going to replace Charlie Morton? I mean, what are you looking at doing here? But if you look, again, underneath the hood, uh, his strikeout per nine, his swing and miss rate, even on pitches in the zone and outside the zone, was the highest it's been since like his second year in the majors. Uh, his miles per hour in the fastball saw an increase. Again, as we've been noting, lower innings, how does that work over the course of a 30-game start season? You know, that's a, those are questions to be answered, but the underlying stats are indicating better health, better stuff, and then the Rays are betting on better results as a as a, a result of that and the pitch selection that they'll be looking at. So it's an intriguing uh, option. I think they they see what they're betting on. Uh, so does Michael Waka as far as uh, he called going to Tampa Bay an investment in himself. Uh, they know the reputation for uh, for what Tampa does with pitchers and how they put them in the best position to succeed. So it's going to be uh, an interesting uh, one to follow this year. His thing is he's always his thing has always been the home runs, right? It used to be really low with the Cardinals, and then it slowly climbed up to last year where it got to an unseasonably high number. Now you limit the home runs. Tampa Bay's 
very good at teaching pitching and limiting home runs down there. Their pitchers are very good at that. We saw that in the playoffs. So I think he's right. It's an investment in himself. And then we see where he's at next season. And if he has a good year, he'll have plenty of suitors next offseason that'll pay, be willing to pay him more money than $3 million a year. Absolutely. Last signing is another one who took advantage. This one, I think, is more of moving to the right ballpark. We've seen Anthony DiSclefani with the Reds give up, once again, way too many home runs. Lots of home runs, but that is the little American ballpark in Cincinnati that gives up a lot of home runs. So instead, where do you go to? You go to the largest park in baseball. Now, San Francisco last year played much more as a hitter's park than we've ever seen. There were some reports it's because without the fans there, they closed off some of the, like, gateway archway things in right field and it allowed the wind to stop blowing in as much so more balls carried out I don't know if that's true or not but I know that last year Anthony Sclafani had a 722 ERA that's really unseemly now I know that he had a very bad FIP and a very bad XFIP now we're only a couple years removed from him being the last two three years were very serviceable 328 389 493 it's again this is an investment in himself you go out to San Francisco one year six million dollars pitch in a much larger ballpark some of those home runs maybe stay in the yard your era drops and you're much more marketable next year well and the reason why the the ball stay in the park more in san francisco besides it being a more spacious park and i've been out there in in july nice. and i've i've seen a game uh, there's been a number of years ago now but uh when the at nighttime that that temperature drops uh you get this little cool on there you Moist. still need a jacket uh, in the in the stands that even uh, for watching that game. It'll be nice and toasty during the day, but at night the temperature drops. And we've learned, as we know well enough, when the temperature is hot uh, and that humidity's in the air, that ball travels. When it's colder, it doesn't seem to go as far. And so all those type of weather-related issues impact uh, it there. And so, again, for him, especially with home run issues, it's the perfect fit uh, for him to go to and another high upside signing. Yeah, he's... The, the, the years of the good ERAs, he's usually giving up about two walks per nine, which is still too many. Last year, it's four. That's why his ERA jumps to unplayable levels. You know, get the walks back down. And even if you do give up the less home runs you'd expect in San Francisco, then then you're back to having a, a very good year and hopefully be able to sign a much better free agent deal the following year. And the Giants have been very good at uh, picking their pitchers. Like last Giants year, we talked about team. Kevin Gaussman. Mm-hmm. Uh, we talked about Drew Smiley. Uh, they had the right players that fit well. Uh, and I don't know what they're doing with their, uh, they're not at Tampa Bay Rays level yet as far as uh, pitcher development or making changes. But if they have another season this way, you're going to start asking more questions about what they're doing with some of these guys. Was it just right pick or is there something they're doing with the de- uh, development? Because some of these guys had not only better health, which you need, but their miles per hour increased. There was guys, uh, Kevin Galsman's resurgence was very interesting with uh, the uptick in the fastball. I mean, he finally threw that splitter yeah. more, right? That's yeah. what his thing was, is throw your good pitches more. The Rays are very good at pitcher development. The Indians are very good at pitcher development. The Giants are working their way into that type of range. Uh, let's move on to some of these off-season injury news parts. So let's start with Gio Urshela. We kind of forgot it at the last week. I think I had it in the notes, and I forgot to talk about it. Gio Urshela had a recent surgery to remove a bone chip from his right elbow, his throwing elbow, right? Yes. And the reports are from Aaron Boone that he's going to be just fine for spring training, with, if it, even if it's in mid-February. Uh, it sounds like the recovery is about three months, which might take you into March, it said. But they expect him back in spring training. It's kind of weird because we heard mid-early September he had pain in that elbow and that there might be a bone chip in there. But they said, you know, he felt fine for October. And then the season got done, and they waited another month or so for the actual surgery. 
And that doesn't seem to make a lot of sense, but the Yankees think he'll be back. And Jay Rochelle was great this last year. He's been great two years in a row, relatively quietly, because that team has you know superstars, Glaber Torres, Stanton, Judge, when they're healthy, all those guys. So Rochelle kind of slides by the radar, but even last year, 298, six home runs. The year before, 314, 21 home runs. He's, he's a star in his own right. He just doesn't get the name recognition, maybe, of their other ones. And very much needed, uh, and how much more needed, depending upon the DJ LeMahieu negotiations, oh, yeah. is going to be interesting, too. Oh, yeah. If DJ LeMahieu leaves, they need Gio Urshela to be back to being that top-of-the-order hitter for them. Let's keep it in New York for another injury news here. Noah Syndergaard. Remember Noah Syndergaard? He had Tommy John surgery. The Mets need Noah Syndergaard's arm to be healthy. Now, it doesn't sound like that is going to be the regular season. Uh, Sandy Alderson on Wednesday said, quote, it is a reasonable expectation for June, that would be 15 months from from his time he had the Tommy John. Uh, there's, you know, we don't know when the season's going to start. You're expecting it to start in April. At this point, I'm still hoping it starts in April. So I believe, yeah, he is. He's a free agent after next season. So he's going to want to get out there and show that that right arm is healthy, that elbow is healthy, and get out and throw as many innings as he can and prove teams, look, I'm ready to go here. Sign me. Well, and that's the best uh already the best trade deadline acquisition that the Mets can have, uh, regardless of what happens when we get into July. Uh, Syndergaard healthy, uh, and you put that into that uh, rotation, you add that to DeGrom, you add that to Stroman, then now you're actually uh, building a rotation that can uh, can do something in the postseason if they are getting to that point. Over under 120 innings. I'll take the under because they're always cautious with that uh, coming back. Uh, but I definitely see him going uh, six strong uh, by August and September. Yeah, yeah, I would have taken the under two. I think it's around. I think it'll be somewhere around 100 innings if they can. I think so. That's what they'd like to get him. Uh, let's talk about a former top prospect, one of the rare pitching prospects that does not turn out well for the Rays. Uh, we're what four years removed from Brent Honeywell being the pitching oh. prospect in the minor leagues. Famous, famous screwball, 97 mile an hour fastball. He was what everybody wanted. He was Michael Kopech. He was all of that. And we're at... Had the moxie to go with it as yeah, far as personality yeah. goes. Everybody loved this kid. And now we heard that he just had his fourth elbow surgery since then. Four elbow surgeries since he last pitched in 2017. But they think he's going to be ready for 2021. The Rays stressed that this was just a cleanup procedure. There's just some slight discomfort there from a, a few just loose bodies that they wanted just to, to get rid of, so he had confidence uh, in his arm uh, with it. So they very much were stressing with this that this was not a major surgery or a major procedure. But nonetheless, you're talking four elbow procedures. Uh, they're confident he's going to be ready for the, the year. And uh, uh, again, I, I, I'll go out and say this. We'll talk more. Uh, as we go more team previews later into the offseason when we get there. Uh, but the Rays, you can have confidence, at least I have 100% confidence, that the opener is going to return uh, oh, yeah. to their, their way of doing things. And the, again, if people understood why it was there in the first place, this wasn't just a team trying to do something different to gain an edge, but they recognized with their young pitchers as they try to help them grow as far as like that third time through the order or to mature on the mound. Uh, for Yanni Chirinos, for Ryan Yarbrough in their first year, they did an opener. Be great for and Michael Waka. And that's another possibility great there for, for him. Uh, great for Brent Honeywell. Uh, so these are guys that, uh, which is why, by the way, one uh, small rumor that I'm just throwing out here as we're talking about this, the Rays are one of the teams interested in Ryan Stanek, who did not do well with the Marlins, but he was the with opener the yeah. 
Uh, he was the one who, and for them, he didn't pitch well in the in the seventh or eighth inning, but he was near lockdown for the first. It was something interesting. But if you are looking at the opener, bring the guy back who was comfortable in that role. Uh, but Brent Honeywell, I am excited to finally see him in the majors. Uh, unless something happens in spring training, uh, he'll finally get his first taste in the majors and definitely rooting for him. Yeah, I think I think everybody's rooting for him at this point. You want to see, even if he's only you know, 80% of what was maybe projected of him at this point, that would still be a really good pitcher that, that the Warriors have been waiting a long time to see. Whether starter or reliever, whatever the arm allows, there's going to be a, an interesting guy. I want to see that. To I want to see that screwball that I've yep. heard so much about all these years. Let's talk about another pitcher. I predicted him to win the Cy Young Award. I believe he pitched five poor innings last season for the <laughs> Washington Nationals because yet again he got hurt. Uh, Steven Strasburg. The reports are he is full go, full go. So with that him, that means he'll be full go for seven minutes. But the report is he's full go from carpal tunnels. I believe carpal tunnel syndrome is what he actually had surgery on. And that was in late August. They expect him to be ready to go for spring training. And like I said, at this point, I have bet on Steven Strasburg enough. I fully expect him to do be very dominant for the innings he pitches, all 85 to 120 of them or so. But uh, anything to say about Steven Strasburg? Hopefully we see him pitch. That's, that's yeah. it. And in the... Of all the years to have a, a, a surgery like this or a procedure that needed to be done, 2020 was the one. They weren't going anywhere, unfortunately, once we got to that point when we knew they weren't going anywhere. So if you were going to lose them for a year, that's the year to do it. Uh, when you're contending, that's when it hurts the most. Uh, but bringing him back next year uh, is the uh, – pair him again with uh, Max Scherzer. Patrick and let's Orman. see what they can do, yeah. Seven years, $245 million contract Steven Strasburg is getting. So they have a lot of reasons to get him back and hopefully pitching for them because whew, that's a big contract after that World Series year. And the final XI Young winner that we're going to talk about here is Corey Kluber. He is going to throw in early January, where John Morosi reported, he is going to throw in early January to show off that his arm is recovered and he is ready to sign. He is a free agent. He is ready to sign. He got traded famously to the Rangers, and I believe right. he made one start, maybe two starts, before he got hurt and missed the rest of the season. So he's got to show off, look, I'm ready to go, or else the offers are not going to come. Low base, high incentive based upon innings pitched, I think is what you're looking at for him. Uh, hopefully January is an encouraging uh, uh, throw session. One inning yeah. he got. I forgot it was that little. I remember it was little. One inning. He's been at about the same rate as Brent Honeywell as far as the last time that he was good. And there uh, are some seriously yeah. injured pitcher prospects we're talking yeah. about here. I've heard, Noah Syndergaard is the healthiest of these guys, and he hasn't pitched in 15 months, it seems like. And... Uh, <laughs> Throwing back out there with Michael Waka as we talk about these yeah. types of players, he's only 30 years old. Oh, yeah. uh, so some of these guys are still young enough where is there a second half uh, surgence to their career? Well within uh, reason, which is why you'll have many teams at his throwing session for Corey Kluber uh, in January. I think if he shows off for him, you could see a team that's going to – I mean, Corey Kluber is not going to sign with a team that's not going to contend. He's 34 years old, 30, yeah, 34 years old, going to be 35 right after the season starts. He's not going to want to just play for a team – but, like, if he shows up a little bit, we know San Diego has a need, right? Like, it's not going to cost as much as Trevor Bauer. You never know. We'll see. It'll be an interesting one. I hope he pitches well for all the teams when they show up to watch him come January. In the second half of our podcast, we're going to take a look at uh, five rumors as we talk about players being reported to even potential teams or things that are happening, a team that could be looking at a full-scale rebuild, uh, as well as we'll take a look at uh, the five uh, contenders, their biggest holes that need to be filled. All of that and more coming up next. 
Cut my egg. Your eggs are cut, sir. Cut my milk. I can't, sir. It's liquid. Imbecile. Freeze it, then cut it. You, bring me the Wall Street Journal. You two, fight to the death. You are a madman. I want to party with you, cowboy. Are you kids with your loud music and your Dan Fogelberg, your Zima, hula hoops, and Pac-Man video games? Don't you see? People today have attention spans that can only be measured in nanoseconds. <laughs> be honest with you, I love his music. I do. I'm a Michael Fulton fan. Yes! That's awesome! We are excited to talk uh, uh, rumors. <laughs> That's uh, right, I am. And uh, uh, chomping at the bit to uh, talk about the team that is... Uh, I've appreciated just how much they of uh, the last couple of off seasons. They've the ones that, that have made the boldest moves. Maybe San Diego last year finally went above that, but uh, the Cincinnati Reds uh, were an interesting, aggressive team. It never quite turned out to the results they were looking for, but I love their process and what they tried to do. Uh, and that's the team that we thought, well, maybe one more. Uh, one more season, one more chance to to try to put this together. The NL Central is definitely winnable, uh, but a team that has felt the financial challenge again. There's less margin for error for your small market teams, and the reports that are coming out now this week is that uh, Sandy uh, that uh, Cincinnati could be looking at a full rebuild and big name players that have been reported. I'm just going to say the players, and I'll let you jump in on some of the, the rumors that are there. But Sonny Gray, we've heard about. But now in the last couple of days, uh, Luis Castillo, uh, Cy Young candidate, caliber uh, pitcher, uh, Eugenio Suarez, the former home run champion and uh, big bopper third baseman. Uh, these are big names that could change the trade landscape if they truly become available. Let's start with Sonny Gray. This one is from Robert Murray, who I believe works at Fansided. And that one was Sonny Gray possibly going to the Padres. And we talked about the Padres last week being with possibly Blake Snell. So we know the Padres need another pitcher. Clevenger is missing this whole year with his elbow issues. I believe that's his second elbow surgery. So the San Diego's pod, San Diego's payroll is probably going to be somewhere around $150 million they're projecting. And Sonny Gray is two years, $20 million on that contract. Uh Nice, nice year, price point. Nice year last year with the with the Reds. The second year there, three seventy ERA, one twenty one WHIP, in just fifty six innings, and makes a lot of sense for San Diego. We, I believe, you had one of their trades last week, being for some of the San Diego players. They have a very deep farm system. They have multiple multiple good options that could go back to Cincinnati if they choose to go that route. Despite all of their trades that they've made here in the, in the mm -hmm. past year, that farm system is still stocked and they can still go out and get any player they want at this point. Luis Castillo, we haven't seen a team. Uh, this was a John Heyman report. It's just that Luis Castillo is also being discussed in trades. Now, Luis Castillo is younger than Sonny Gray. Uh, I would say he's, at this point, a better pitcher. I, just from the, what I've seen of him, that changeup is devastating. And he is under control, I believe, for three more years, and I'm not sure what the contract is, but I'm guessing it is extremely low because he is very young. He's just coming up into arbitration, yeah. so again, you're going to be dealing with, with arbitration prices, but even uh, at a, a healthy projection, 339 is the, the most that you're looking at for a Cy Young caliber pitcher. Uh, 
it is without question that if he truly would become available, again, teams can call and they they're sniffing around and they're hearing things, and so I'm sure they're the ones that are placing the calls, not the Reds. But if the Reds got serious about entertaining offers. Uh, he would become the best pitcher on the market. Uh, Blake Snell right now it has that moniker if the Rays go that route, uh, but Luis Castillo would would definitely jump above that. Uh, and they, the Reds are a team that can control the trade market for sure as we talk about their third player. And the third player, the report was, once again, from John Heyman, and this one was the Nats. And we've talked about the Nats' third base crunch. We sort of met, talk, talked to Chris Bryant. There was a report that they are not interested in Chris Bryant, and I don't know how much I believe that, but... It may not be. Eugenio Suarez, like you mentioned, a couple of years removed from hitting a lot of leading the league in home runs, like the quietest lead leader in home runs ever. Last year, very short, hit a lot of home runs again, really struggled with the average, but that was kind of the Reds all season. We predicted them to win, and they were terrible until we finally gave up on them, and they just snuck back in on us. And it says there's nothing believed to be close. Once again, we've talked about Carter Keboom. He would have to be a part of this. I would be shocked if they truly traded him and Carter Keboom wasn't involved. The Nationals have an okay farm system. It's not as good as the Padres. It's nowhere near as good as the Padres, but it's good enough that they could make something like this work. I just don't think they have enough firepower at the top to to pull off this player of trade. Uh, Chris Bryant worked because you're looking at more of a salary uh, dump, dump uh, for that one. At this level, it all depends who else is interested. So it's uh, could they make something work with more lower-level lower prospects that they're high on? Absolutely. Uh, but I, I would think that there would be a few other teams looking for offense, especially at his contract. You're at yeah. five years of control yet at around $10 million a season. He is mm-hmm. dirt cheap, uh, especially for the hot corner. Any team that is interested in Justin Turner, how could you not be interested in Eugenio Suarez? Toronto yeah. Blue Jays, if, you want, if you're interested oh, in Justin Turner, there a is a fit. fit. That's a good uh, fit. Very well for that, and they have the, uh, the prospect capital to make anything work. Uh, and especially at that price point, you could still go out and sign whatever big player you're wanting to do, and it fits within your payroll. Uh, so I'll be curious to see if the Reds get serious. Uh, there's some big-time players that could be moved. So let's handicap them. Who's most likely to move over the three, we think? Uh, Sorry, throwing it on you. On yeah, the spot no, no, here. but it's that's a. I'm trying to think through. I mean, Sonny Gray is the most likely if you're doing Vegas odds. He's the one that's most likely, uh, but you're not going to get as much from him. You'll get a solid return. But if you want true, uh, again, what what do you need to do a good rebuild? You need high end players that get you a high end return. That's Luis Castillo, mm-hmm. and then Eugenio Suarez. Uh, Castillo's the prize, uh, and I think you could get a lot. For him, if you are, if you truly put him out there, I think that's the one where you could get Mackenzie Gore. Oh, I, yeah. don't, I don't think they're yeah. looking to. They will not move him for Blake Snell even. Nope. Uh, I they will. They. I believe they would for Luis Castillo. That's an in your prime Cy Young candidate with three years of control. That's who you do it for. Uh, so, yeah. but that's the level of prospect that you're looking at as part of a package. Uh, to uh, to make a rebuild. Not That's every team has the packages to get Luis Correct. Castillo. There's plenty of teams that, Correct. like, Toronto, you're talking Toronto, they have the type of players to get him. San Diego does. I don't think the Yankees have the players to get Luis Castillo. I, there's plenty of other teams that do not have the capital to bring in a player like that. Sonny Gray, on the other hand, like you said, I think there's a lot of teams that will be interested in Sonny yep. Gray. And Eugenio Suarez is kind of in between. So if I'm ranking this, Sonny Gray is most likely to move, followed by Suarez, followed by Castillo, I just remember. Do you remember the fact that Luis Castillo was yet another of the players on the Marlins at one time? They had so much, so much talent <sighs> there, and yet nothing to, to show for it. Uh, interesting, yeah. So bad, so sad for the Marlins fans. Okay, 
Uh, moving on, teams here. Let's well, I'm not feeling too bad for them after they have, now they're finally back oh, at yeah. that spot, and now you have a contending team. Can you uh, imagine but, uh, what could have been? Just Luis yeah. Castillo, Sixto Sanchez, Pablo Sandy Alcantara, Pablo Lopez. Christian Yelich, Mike yeah. Stanton. I know, right? They go on hitter side. <laughs> it's something else down there. Uh, let's move on to another player here. Another Robert Murray fan cited, Yadier Molina. We have not mentioned Yadier Molina because he is not the big catcher still available. Uh, Yadier Molina, the Nationals are a possibility for free agent catcher Yadier Molina. The 38-year-old is drawing interest from multiple teams with the need at catcher. He's not the big name. I've said I think JT Romuto is most likely to sign with the Nationals, and I still believe that is possibly his best fit because they could really use some offense, and they really need a catcher. Now, Molina, we've James McCann already signed. Molina is about as good as what's left on the market after that. So it makes sense. He's rather old, though. 38 years old is rather old. He's never shown. I can't say that he's never shown the ability to catch because he goes out there and catches as many games as anybody. So it, it makes sense. They Obviously, he's an excellent defender, and they have Steven Strasburg, Max Scherzer, and Patrick Corbin, who would I'm sure love throwing to Yadier Molina. I think what Molina's trying to do here is show a legitimate enough market to make the Cardinals actually give him a legitimate offer. I think both sides want to return, uh, but he's not going to just take uh, some uh, hometown discount at a very low rate. Uh, He also wants respect from the other side, uh, and so I think this is part of that negotiation uh, ploy. Uh, I don't see him serious about moving. I could see him getting serious about moving, but I see a one-year return deal with the the Cardinals. Ultimately, what happens... But, yeah, I would say the Nationals would be the the likely uh, dark horse candidate if something breaks down there. And if JT Ramuto doesn't go to the Nationals, I think Molina then becomes a very serious possibility for them. They need a catcher. Jan Gomes, while an okay catcher, more of a backup quality catcher if you're going to try to be a contender. And I think they do want to contend, even though they were so terrible last year. I do think they want to contend. They're a couple players away. Ramuto is a better fit. Yadier Molina is the backup plan, I suppose. Let's move on to a big-time slugger. Sorry, did well, you have something No, I was just going to say that I think the, the Colorado Rockies uh, would also like a market, uh, and they would like to keep singing Step On Up and Meet the Mets uh, to uh, Nolan Arenado. They, it's almost to the point of begging. <laughs> Seriously, it's almost to the point of begging. Take him, please! Uh, and uh, the only team that would be looking at uh, in this market of taking on a contract like this is the New York Mets. So it's no wonder that we're hearing the rumors. I jumped ahead of it, and I'll let you tell us oh, you about it. it. But but they, doing great. Uh, they uh, desperately want the Mets to get involved. Uh, and again, it makes sense. That's the team that has the money to do it. I don't see the Mets doing it, though. So the Arenado's owed just under $200 million between now and 2026 when that massive contract he signed a few years ago ends. Now he has an opt-out clause after this upcoming year. So if you're the Mets, or if you're any team, you're saying, okay, if we're going to bring you in, Nolan Arenado, you're opting back into that because we're not trading all this for one year. Now, I believe last week you mentioned Trevor Story possibly going to the Mets. Uh, I think that the Colorado Rockies would be much happier to see Nolan Arenado go to the Mets and get that contract out from underneath of him. Uh, The Mets, they've said that right now Nolan Arenado is not the priority. He's, and he shouldn't be, right? I think their priority, they're right, George Springer. It should be George Springer. That's the one that I think we've always said is the most likely to sign there. Trevor Bauer can talk that he wants to go there. I think that they have pitching. I think George Springer needs to be their priority. Nolan Arenado is an otherworldly third baseman, excellent player. He would be absolutely qualified as their splash play, but I don't know what they'd be willing to give up. Like you said, Colorado's begging to get rid of him. They have absolutely no leverage at this point. 
would the Mets really need to bring him in? The and I'm already saying this from the uh, with the obvious caveat that this is not a fair comparison. And I and I don't mean this as as far as the quality of player uh, in the comparison I'm making. But I think the Mets are truly scared, despite being a new regime, truly scared of making another Robinson Cano deal. And what I mean is Arenado is much younger. He's in his prime. All of that is there. But if you look at the the history of third basemen, the downward trend happens with the precipice. It isn't and that's a gradual. That's all with David Wright. Yeah, it's, it's not with David Wright. gradual. And so I, I watched it with Evan Longoria with the Evan with Longoria. the with the Rays. Still a solid player, but not at that all star otherworldly level. And so when you're paying a guy to be that for the next six years, you don't want to be locked into a contract at near twenty five to thirty million a year, like it is with Robinson Cano, that just sinks even for a big market payroll. It just sinks that payroll. So uh, I, I get them being very apprehensive, and that's why if a deal is made, it will take at least the Colorado Rockies eating 25% of that salary. That's the only way the Mets entertain it where you even get a decent prospect in return. Not because it, no, Nolan Arenado is probably the best third baseman in baseball, defensively, all around, everything encompassing mm-hmm. right now. Sure. What you're betting on or what you don't know is three years from now, will he still be near that? We've seen the Los Angeles Angels be hamstrung by that Albert Pujols deal, right? That's exactly. the one, that's the type of thing we're talking about here. And if the Mets want to spend money and they want to spend money, do you want to drop twenty million a year on Nolan Arenado, who you think we think is going to be good for? I think he'll be good in three years. Is he going to be that good in three years? Justin Turner has been excellent. He is the exception to the rule. That's that. Adrian They've, Beltre was the ultimate sure, exception yes, to that, right? Yes, Forty Adrian years Beltre. old and still did that. But how many of those from Justin I, Turner? I think Adrian Beltre and Nolan Arenado are on our goat list. Like these guys are yeah. all world third basemen, right? But there are plenty of third basemen who age quickly. It is really hard on the knees. It happens too often. Aramis Ramirez from the Cubs was excellent, but yes. aged in a hurry, right? Those type of players age in a hurry. Here's the ultimate question. When opening day hits, is Trevor Story a Met or a Colorado Rocky or somewhere else? Trevor Story first. Story is still a 50-50 because ultimately uh, for them, it's not a, a big payroll change, and it's going to depend upon how much you love the prospect you can get. Does that prospect, is, is that a... a a building block that you can have as part of a rebuild because you're doing this weird re- rebuild with having a star on the payroll. Uh, if that's the case, if Trevor Story goes and Nolan Arenado doesn't, you need at least a, a, a very good player that you can get for him. Can you get that on a one-year uh, Trevor Story deal? That's the question. I think, I, I'll put it at 50-50 right now. I, th- I think that Arenado is – the Mets would – or the Rockies would love to move Arenado and keep Story. I don't know it'll work. I think they'll either have to move somehow move find a way to move them both or keep them both. That's what I would say. I don't think they can move one and not the other because at that point it's so I mean and that's, that's this is the Rockies though, so they have proven that they're not good at this rebuilding thing. So maybe they are going to be dumb enough to move Arenado and keep story or vice versa, but I, I could see them trying to do like I said that the only other option you have is you keep Arenado and you're going with a young core around it because if you're not Bank him for as much as you can get for Arenado if you're not going to be able to get anything off the books right now. Could you move Trevor Story and John Gray uh, and clear some salary that way and try to get some prospects in return? Sure. Could you entertain maybe uh, German Marquez 
uh, or someone that way. Like it's it's hard to say for sure what they do, but there's a couple of veterans that they could move that would be at about fifty percent of what it, what you'd clear with Nolan Arenado, and you could get some decent prospects in return. But the, the return obviously is the question. Something to keep watching as we move through the off season here. Last rumor of the week. Uh, was some player we haven't really talked a whole lot about. I, you might have heard me mention him earlier. I was getting ready to talk about him while the music was playing. But Jackie Bradley Jr. is a free agent, famously an excellent defensive outfielder for the Red Sox, whose offense tends to fluctuate. And for his credit, and the year where he's a free agent, he had among the best offensive seasons we've ever seen from him. Now it was over 55 games, but he had seven home runs last year, scored 32 runs, had five steals, and hit 283. 283 was the best average he's ever had. Now, once again, he has a 343 BABIP last year, so it's a little lucky. And throughout his career, he's more of a 250 hitter who hits, you know, 15 ish home runs and can steal eight to 10 bases while playing an excellent center field. 30 years old. And according to John Morosi, there's teams that really are interested in him. The Phillies, the Cubs, and the Blue Jays are the three that he specifically mentions, and he says there's other teams interested. What do you think of Jackie Bradley Jr.? Well, the, the Mets, if, the, if George Springer doesn't happen, becomes a team. I'm sure there's one or two others where there's a center field fit. Um, to me, it depends for... I still think the Blue Jays go in a different direction. Phillies or Cubs, as they try to make small incremental moves, the Phillies were trying to contend the Cubs. You know, It depends what they all got going on there. They could try to roll it back. Uh, trying to upgrade that center field defense is one of the, the spots, uh, kind of a... Uh, a segue into contending holes. We're kind of <laughs> seeing the uh, uh, center field spot for a couple of these on the fringe type teams where Bradley Jr. Uh, would be a good fit. Uh, I wonder so I, about I like Houston. Mc- That's the yeah. one I wonder about. Houston, yeah. George Springer, I think, is leaving. We know Michael Brantley's leaving. Now, I said George, Jackie Bradley's probably not an offensive threat and they need offense, but they're going to have a lot of money. And I've said, I think that Marcelo Zuna would be an excellent replacement in right field. And then you could put Jackie Radley in center, and yeah, maybe it's not George Springer and Michael Brantley, but it's pretty good. I think Bradley does fit there because it allows you to cheat and get better offense on the corners and have the center fielder hide it. Uh, Bradley Jr. is not going to be an expensive uh, addition. $8 million maybe for one season, uh, $216, you know, that type of thing. Uh, so he's going to be affordable uh, and going to get you the, the defense that allows you to, again, add more offense on the corners. I would not see the Cubs at all. That's the one that he mentions that I don't see at all. Like, I think they're, I think they want to rebuild. I really do. I don't know if they're going to actually do it. We'll see if they actually move to that route. But as you mentioned, we're moving into contenders with holes to fill here. So I have five teams. I tried to pick, when immediately you cut it down to contenders, that takes out a lot of the poor teams. Cause there is a lot of teams that have holes to fill, but there are teams that I do not believe are contending. And then I tried to pick at least one. So we only, we kept it in the five by five. So I missed one of the divisions, but I tried to go with one team from a different divisions. So we're going to start out in the AL West. And this is a team we mentioned this whole, they were terrible last year. Their pitching was among the worst in the game. Other than Dylan Bundy, who at times was fine. They have Andrew Heaney and Griffin Canning do the angels as serviceable arms, but this is a team that needs an ace, and they paid Shohei Otani to be that ace. And from what we've seen, is his bat's pretty good, and he had stretches where he could pitch, but last year was unserviced. He was unusable, unusable. And if that's the case, this team needs an ace at the top. There's a hole to fill. The biggest reclamation project in all of baseball is going to be Shohei Otani. What is he in 2021 with the full season, without COVID, with a, an off season to build up the arm? Uh, 
what is he? I think that's the the biggest question. Now, the biggest hole, as you're talking about, still, even even if he's good, you still need uh, another legit starting pitcher. I agree with the the, the Angels as a... Uh, we would have added bullpen uh, to oh, this. Yeah. Uh, we talked about it last week. After the trade for Rafael Iglesias, they're starting to make moves. They need to get a starting pitcher. I don't know that they can afford Trevor Bauer. They obviously are the, probably the best fit, the most logical choice. But financially, I don't think they can swing it. The one that makes the perfect perfect sense to me, if they can find, again, their, their farm system isn't the best, but if they can make something work, this is where Sonny Gray is the perfect fit to me. He's the more the, the best mid-tier guy that you can get that would make a huge difference for the uh, Angels. Uh, he's not Trevor Bauer, but as far as what they have for, and what they need, he would represent a massive upgrade. I think that's the level that they should be looking at uh, unless they can uh, beg Moreno to uh, go get Trevor Bauer. Yeah, that's, that, that would be an excellent fit. I hadn't really considered Sonny Gray. I was going to ask you about Blake Snell, but Sonny Gray would make a lot of sense. Uh, right now, this is a team that you, you have Andrew Heaney and Dylan Bundy and Griffin Canning, but then you're projected to start in Patrick Sandoval and Jaime Berea. Berea was okay last year. Patrick Sandoval isn't. This is that's not good enough for a back end of the rotation if you're going to compete. We know that the AL West is deep. Houston is going to hit a lot of home runs. Uh, their pitching is better than that, and Oakland already won. So you you have to be more competitive. Their, their offense is fine. Mike Trout and Anthony Rendon. You have two side MVP caliber players up there, right? So you're going to score runs. You just need the pitching to contend for this team. I'm still not sold that Oakland could end up being a rebuilding team before we get to spring. You never uh, know what with, Oakland's with Billy do. Bean being gone. Uh, a couple of these guys are one year away from free agency, uh, where I I think that could be another interesting team that way, or at least a team that it could take a step backwards, uh, depending upon how everything goes. So the Angels are still in a spot to compete for wild card, uh, and uh, then see what else happens in the in the AL West. Let's go across country to Philadelphia to talk about the Phillies. Now, we were just mentioning the Phillies as a possibility for Jackie Bradley Jr. They have a much bigger hole to fill than center field. There's current center fielder, Jean Quinn, serviceable. Their hole is the fact that they literally had at one time last year the worst bullpen in the history of this game. It was mentioned by Philadelphia newspapers. It was atrocious. Hector Neris had a 457 ERA. Connor Brogdon, 397. And then you had Ranger Swartz with a 20 ERA. They had 17 ERAs from Cole Irvin. They had multiple guys with double-digit ERAs in their bullpen last year. That's not playable. Now, they made a trade for Brandon Workman during the middle of the year. He's a free agent. David Robertson's a free agent. Anthony Swarzak is a free agent. Jake Arrieta's a free agent. Blake Parker. They have lots of those guys that were there are actually free agents, too. So, bad ERA. Now, getting them out of there may be, may be a good thing. But you got to fill it with somebody. We have never talked about Liam Hendricks going to Philadelphia. He's the big-name closer. They, they certainly have the money to spend. They've said that they're not going to spend it on JT Ramuto, so they, they could go for that way, but there's lower-name closers. We mentioned Trevor Rosenthal, Kirby Yates, some of those guys. I think they need to bring in someone. The, this wasn't the, the biggest bullpen dumpster fire in baseball that was the angels last year as far as blown saves however the most publicized dumpster <laughs> fire in baseball was the philadelphia phillies bullpen uh and yes that is a huge hole that needs to be taken care of uh it's going to be by multiple players uh they need whatever they can get you want to get a, a guy at the the ninth inning then you want to look for deals across the board where can you find uh, something else that isn't uh, on a one-year deal, just something to get going. 
Here's where I like Brad Hand. I think okay. this is a good fit uh, with them. He's going to be, you know, anywhere from maybe seven-ish million dollars uh, for the year. He's not the same closer that he was, but he's still good. I think he fits in the NL East, uh, and uh, I think that's a good fit there along with some others that are going to be out there. But I think that's the type of player they target. I don't think they have the money for Liam Hendricks, uh, but I think they can get someone like Brad Hand. I think you're going to see two, three different free agents in that bullpen before we yep. get done with yep. this year. Hand is a good one. I mentioned Rosenthal. I think Archie Bradley, we talked about him getting non-tendered. He would make a lot of sense there. It, it's definitely, if the Phillies want to contend in the, against the Braves and against the Marlins, you can't have you can't have good starts and get it being blown all the time. I remember watching a game where they were up 8 to nothing in the seventh inning and they lost that game. That cannot happen if you want to compete to win the World Series. Absolutely. Let's keep it out east, AL East. Uh, the Yankees. The Yankees have an excellent ace. His name is Garrett Cole. They pay him a lot of money to be their ace. And then Masahiro Tanaka, we mentioned him last week, free agent. James Paxton, free agent. Luis Severino, we have not heard anything on his Tommy John surgery, so I'm not sure when Luis Severino is going to pitch. But after Garrett Cole is Jordan Montgomery, who 5'11 ERA, and I think that's really unlucky. I think Jordan Montgomery is actually a pretty good pitcher. Young Debbie Garcia, and then it's Michael King and Domingo Herman, who sort of retired, then didn't retire, didn't pitch all year. We have no idea what Domingo Herman is doing. Look, the Yankees want to compete against the Rays. We know that. The Blue Jays are really good. The back end of their rotation, it, it's simply not good enough. And we said that last year. And that's when they had Tanaka and Paxton, and it's worse. Here's the, of the five uh, holes that we're, going, that we're going to talk about, despite it being the New York Yankees, I think this is the most challenging hole to fill, and here's why. Uh the Yankees, after spending big on players in the past couple of off-seasons and have long-term contracts on their books, uh, they have already said it's, it's just about a mandate. They do not want to go above the luxury tax line. They want to stay under that this year. When you count D.J. LeMayhew's re-signing, which that's now going to be at $20 million a season, like that's what you're looking at now as far as market rate goes. So... Uh, there's no savings being done here, and that's going to be like, what, the sixth $20 million player that they have on their roster? Uh, there's no money left to do. So to me, if they're going to be doing this, trade is what you're going to be looking at, but here's the challenge. Sonny Gray would be a perfect fit here, but he was terrible for them. He did not work in that environment, too, yeah. and he absolutely hated it there. So there's no other mid, mid-tier guy to go after. Blake Snell is not being traded within the division. They do not have the horses for Luis Castillo. I mean, if you did some sort of package of Debbie Garcia, uh, Clint Frazier, uh, and someone else in the a top minor guy, you might be able to at least make a respectable offer, but I think too many other teams would be able to go above it. Plus, if you get rid of Debbie Garcia, you just leave another, another hole to fill. Yeah, so it yeah. doesn't work. So I don't know what they're going to do uh, to uh, feel that, to me, the easiest one for them is you bring back Tanaka, uh, but that still doesn't, like with James Paxton issues, It, I don't know. I don't see them filling this hole, to be honest with you. It, it's going to be real challenging for them. They're, they're going to need to hope that someone, one of these free agents, like a Jake Odorizzi or something, says, I'm willing to take a little less than my market value to be a New York Yankee, maybe, you know, they're still a good team, right? They made the playoffs all year. They tracked to be among the latest teams in the league and they have an excellent offense, but you have to hope that somebody like that, a Jake Odorizzi, a Mike Leak, maybe Corey Kluber 
is willing to take a little bit of a discount to say, look, maybe I can win a championship in New York because they're always going to compete to win championships. They've done it forever and they're still going to keep doing it. Mike fires, who knows somebody like that, but otherwise it's going to be real challenging for them to compete against the Rays. And what, well, not only that, my, my bold statement of the off season here is that they're not guaranteed to make the playoffs next year. No, uh, I, I, with Toronto no. being as good as they've been and the moves that they're going to make, the Yankees easily easily could slot into the third best team in that division. Yep. And that is going to create, yep. depending upon what the Rays do with their rotation, uh, that's where the Yankees are without having their financial resources to bail them out. There's problems in New York, and it's not being covered that way yet, uh, but there's definitely problems in New York, and this is Brian Cashman's biggest challenge in a long time. After you shell out that much money to these star players, to Garrett Cole, to Mike Stanton, uh, all these guys that are there, this team has way too many holes for than what they should have. This is what happens when you get top-heavy. Washington Nationals are the best uh, prime mm-hmm. example of that. This is a very top-heavy team, and they need some of these young guys. And I think ultimately that's it. They need Jordan Montgomery. They need Debbie Garcia. And if they can find one other internal where you have three of those guys, then just one free agent to uh, add to Garrett Cole, and that's what you do for a rotation this year. I just checked. The latest, the last news we had on Severino was that that was back in October, and they thought, once again, for him, June. June again, just like with Syndergaard. So... That's, that's half the season that you're going without him. So, yeah, it, it's going to be tough for the Yankees. That's a team to watch this offseason. They're not just going to be able to throw money at it like we've seen them do in the past. Uh, National League Central, I could have picked any of these teams because other than the Pirates, I think they're all contenders. And it's based off what I saw last season. I think they all have basically the same need because we watched them all season be basically mediocre. But I went with the Cardinals just because I think it's a little more – I think the Cubs need some bounce backs. I think they have some good bats on their team. I think they need a little bounce back. I have no idea what the Reds are going to do. If they really are going to tear this all down, that's that's too spectacle or skeptical. And the Brewers we talked about. So I want the Cardinals. And I think their need is just an impact bat. If you look through the Cardinals lineup last year, we've, we've sort of talked about this before. The Cardinals only played 58 games, not even the full 60. And their lead leader in home runs was six by Paul Goldschmidt with a 304 average. And after that, there's nobody on the team who hits over 250, and nobody hits more than five home runs. It's aging. They need someone else in that lineup to help out. Matt Carpenter's not getting it done anymore at third base. He's hitting that's 186 last year with four home runs. That's not good enough anymore. Dexter Fowler's aging in right field, 233, not getting it done. Paul DeYoung, I have hopes for Paul DeYoung and Tommy Edmonds, so I'm not going to say too much. I like Dylan Carlson. I think he was a little overmatched when he got up here. We'll see. Maybe he's made some adjustments, and he's good to go. Harrison Bader, excellent defender in center, not good enough with the bat. And the, who knows what they're going to do with Yadier Molina at catcher. Otherwise, there's a gap there, too. So this is a team, I think when one of us mentioned maybe Nolan Arenado going here. Uh, that would take Dylan Carlson, I believe. Even though Nolan Arenado is going to cost a lot, they would still probably have to give up a player like Dylan Carlson to get him or Tyler O'Neill at least and see go from there. But they need a bat. I was trying to think in, in my mind who who fits because again there's there's I mean bringing back Marcelo Zuna uh, you know is, is a is something that would make sense but I it depends how much they're wanting to spend this off season um, it really didn't go that well I just don't know if, if Zuna goes back there I, he never uh, felt like I never felt like him like he liked it there I don't yeah, think it just didn't he feel like it clicked it yeah um, I think the one, this is more an, an underrated one, and I've, I've hyped him since the offseason began. Uh, I'm a big Tommy LaStella fan. 
Mm-hmm. Uh, and I think as far as, again, batting average, on-base percentage, uh, to getting things started. What Matt Carpenter used to be. Yes. I think exactly this is what Matt exactly used to what be. Matt Carpenter used to be. And now the replacement for and with Colton Wong gone too, mm-hmm. uh, there's a guy that, I mean, in this shortened season, a 350 on-base percentage. I mean, even when things were low, that's still what you're losing. He was their, second, chose, best, yeah. he was their second best batter last yeah. year. Other and than Goldschmidt. And so... Tommy Lestella is already one fit, but they're still going to need another guy in addition to, but I think that's the first way uh, to, to build back that. They have good pitching. We've said it before. This team has good pitching. Flaherty, Kim, Michaelis. But the, I said the whole National League Central had offensive struggles last year. It was just exacerbated on the Cardinals. Maybe it was COVID. We know it spread through their system. Maybe that affected some of them. But you cannot go through a year with – now you project it out. Even if you project that out, you have – Nobody with 20 home runs, and you know they're still at not under 250. So you got to hope that they go out and make some type of a move to bring in some type of an impact bat there. And we keep it in the central division, so now we move to the AL Central. And I'm talking about the Twins. Now, I'm assuming that Nelson Cruz is coming back. Otherwise, they have a large hole to fill there. But I am going to assume that Nelson Cruz is going to come back to the Twins. But I do know that they're going to miss out on a few people. We know that Rich Hill is a free agent. Uh, Homer Bailey is a free agent. Jake Odorizzi is a free agent. So that's three starting pitchers. Now they have Kenta Maeda, pitched excellently last year, rock solid. Jose Barrios, maybe never going to hit the what was expected of him, but once again, you know what you're going to get out of Jose Barrios. It's probably a mid-threes to low-fours ERA. He's going to eat innings. Michael Pineda came back at the end of the year, pitched awesome for them. And then it's Randy Dobnak and Devin Smeltzer. And for a team that's got to compete against the White Sox, who we've seen them go out and make a move, they got Lance Lynn. They have Dallas Keuchel. They have Lucas Giolito. I know what they have, and they have Michael Kopech possibly coming in. The Twins need more help, at the once again, much like the Yankees, at the back end of their rotation. You know, honestly, the one that makes the most sense is uh, bringing back Odorizzi. Uh, 2019 was a breakout year. 2020, uh, there's some injuries. There was just the, the way things went. It wasn't the, the ideal I would bring him back. I think uh, here's a guy who you've already, you know his warts, you know his strengths. You've seen him at his best, you've seen him at not his best. There's value in that when you're coming off of a uh, a COVID year where it's hard to evaluate stats. You don't know if a player actually is going to be able to keep whatever, if, if the things were good or things were not. What are you banking on? It's, uh, it's the mystery bag, and you don't know for sure what you're getting. Your scouting department can only do so much. How much more can you do with a guy you already know? I think Jake Odorizzi would be the best fit as far as uh, uh, strengthening up the back end of that rotation. Odorizzi makes a lot of sense. I was going to mention Jay Happ. I think he'd be a good fit for them. Uh, he was with the Yankees last year, obviously, the other guy that left there. Once again, yeah, you just, you're not going to go out. You don't need Trevor Bauer. You're not going to drop that type of money. You're spending a lot of money, I think, to try to bring back Nelson Cruz. It sounds like he's not going to give them a, home, a discount, and he doesn't need to, right? He's earned that money, but... They need a back end of that rotation if they're going to keep competing against the White Sox. I think the Indians are going to get worse, but I think we mentioned the Royals are getting better, and the Twins got to keep winning games. I'll throw one more name out there that that makes sense as far as they have the offense to allow. You don't need great. You just need six innings, four runs, right? I think mm-hmm. that's just that works with that offense. Jose Quintana. Yep. Uh, I think that's one who already has AL Central experience. Yes, he does. Uh, he didn't quite live up to expectations with the trade to the Cubs, uh, but he still, I think, he dealt more with 
those expectations than being at least an average major league back end rot- uh, rotation starter. I think in a different venue, uh, especially with that offense to pick him up, I like that fit. That's that'd be a good one. That'd be better than Devin Smelter at the back end of the rotation. And I and Devin Smelter, you know, fine. Maybe like a long guy. I think Devin Smelter is a fine long arm in your bullpen. But like I said, you're not. Devin Smelter is not going to compete against the White Sox. I don't want Devin Smelter to have to face that White Sox lineup if I'm the Twins trying to compete. It works if that's your sixth or seventh uh, rotation sure. option, uh, but you need a better five. Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, you know the uh, I've been holding off on this oh boy. Uh, as we're as we're looking uh, at wrapping things up here. Oh boy, uh, it's, it's the the big breaking news. You know, this is the <laughs> this is the the. Uh, of the 2020 of 2020. This is the to, most uh, important thing do. we've yeah. talked about all year. Uh, we, we've, we've held this off to the end, and I don't think we can hold it back any longer. This is even more important than the Pirates. Go Trevor ahead. Bauer. Yeah. At Twitter. The Twitter polls are done. The I believe it's Danny Vietti who works for CBS. Yes, it is. And he well, held again, his... again as, as you're saying that I'm just jumping in to say, you know, Trevor Bauer breaking news. <laughs> you know, like this is big stuff. This is, this is it right here. Danny Vietti uh, working for CBS. He's held his I don't know if it's annual or first year. I'm not even sure. His best baseball Twitter user of 2020. And Trevor Bauer has got his win. He he took advantage of his platform to pull and get votes out of any fan base he could, trolling them as he only so well does that he would be much more likely to go to the Dodgers if they would vote for him. And he beat Jared Carabas, who I believe works for the Red Sox, or maybe he works for like Bleacher he Report. He put himself in a Red Sox uniform of to say, hey, he no, shouldn't you vote for, uh, for for this right here? Of course he did. <laughs> and uh, he, he took it down. So the best baseball Twitter user of 2020, congrats, Trev. You come up on this podcast a lot because you are not afraid to be in the spotlight. And man, Trevor, just sign soon so we can talk about your baseball game soon. With that, uh, uh, we'll let that uh, be our final uh, statement of the of twenty twenty. As and Merry we, Christmas, Merry Christmas, uh, blessed New Year. As we uh, uh, look forward to twenty twenty one for many different reasons. That's right, uh, but. Uh, Still make sure to count your blessings. Uh, you know, the uh, it's always hard in any type of year. It's easy to focus on the negatives or easy to focus on a lot of different things. Uh, when you can see the silver linings, when you can still look at and see uh, where uh, where the, the blessings are, it allows you to appreciate things that much more. If anything, what we've learned this year is what's essential, and it's uh, uh, family and those opportunities to, to gather together, things that we're struggling to do right now as a result of the pandemic Hopefully that makes us appreciate those little things that we took for granted all the more as we move into uh, a 2021. With that, uh, we'll be back in a couple weeks. Take a week off. We'll be back in a couple weeks. Hopefully, maybe it'll be just a lot of news. We'll see. I think there's going to be a busy January. Again, as things get pushed into the new year, uh, to wait and see how the financial picture looked, how other things went. I think I think January is going to be a very interesting month for activity. As we look forward to uh, a spring training, isn't That's that right. far around the corner? Once you get to January, don't tell the owners that we will be <laughs> in single-digit weeks before we get to spring training. So let that uh, uh, greet you as well, and we'll see you in the new year. Take care.